0: Published. My name is Amy.
1: I'm James,
0: and I'm going to hand over to Jimmy to discuss the topic today. Okay. So
1: in my newsletter a few weeks ago, I got some wonderful replies from people about what they might want us to talk about on the podcast going forward, and someone was saying that um, they have been in this industry for so long now that they just have no idea what it looks like without gatekeepers, and they they came in a while ago before the internet, and they just want to get some idea of what creating without gatekeepers even means because it sounds cool to them, but they don't, it just, you know, it sounds cool, but they don't know practically what it is.
0: Yeah, great. Yeah, I thought this would be just be a, a wonderful time to talk about, you know, how do we get noticed without, you know, the traditional roots? And just to quickly, I know a lot of you already know what the phrase gatekeeper means, but I thought we should kind of go over what what that looks like and who mm. that entails.
1: Yeah, so the gatekeeper is traditional people in power who maybe aren't themselves creatives, but they hold the keys to, you know, the funding and the resources that you might need to publish a book, to star in a movie, to um, get, you know, shown in a gallery. A gallery would be, would be a gatekeeper.
0: Publishers are gatekeepers. Publishers are gatekeepers. Um, uh, agents are gatekeepers. Um, producers are gatekeepers. There's lots of different types for all the different creative fields, um, but they're typically structures that have been there for a long time. Um, and, and they're typically structures that you have to apply for or get permission from in order to get work, creative work.
1: And they're not necessarily bad people. They just no no are in positions of authority over artists often. And it's, you need to, in the traditional world, you needed to have their approval in order to do anything and to yeah. make any money from, from art, really. With the rare exception, probably.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, we I'm not, I'm totally anti-gatekeeper, but what I... Am anti is thinking that that's the only way that we get to be uh, successful creatives. Like I want to have these discussions so that creators can understand that we don't need to be picked by these people in power in order to have success, and that we actually have a lot more control than we originally recognize. Um, you know, my story is that I just thought the only way that I was ever going to be a successful writer was to be picked by publishing houses, and so I did one thing, one thing only, and that was submit my work to publishing houses. And of course, I got you know hundreds of rejections, and um, I felt that. Like had no control I was like I'm doing everything in my ability to try and become a successful writer and it's not working um and what I didn't realize was that I've just been conditioned to think there was only one way to be successful as as an author and that was to go through publishing houses and when I took a step back and recognized that there are so many ways to make impact to connect to make money to be successful um to be a creator that was when I finally kind of stepped into my power started taking control of my creative journey and became essentially at the end a full-time a
1: And the interesting thing is that you were already engaging with the internet, engaging with social media. I know, engaging with people directly, and even then, you it still, still felt didn't the occur power to me of the gatekeeper, like the, gate- the traditional narrative of how to be a creative was still so strong in you that you couldn't even see what was in front of you and the amazing opportunity that was in front of you already.
0: It's just crazy, isn't it? Like I was growing a social media pr- profile um, while I was submitting to these publishers, and the narrative in my head was, "Oh, maybe it will help me get picked." but i never turned it on its head well not for a long time did i turn it on its head and say well maybe this is the way that i can thrive without them and without needing their permission i think that creatives and this is a really natural and i don't think a bad thing at all but creatives want to feel seen they want to feel witnessed and so we can get very almost addicted uh to this idea that oh someone's going to pick me they're going to deem me worthy and it become it can become almost an addictive process trying to get gatekeepers attention because uh, receiving it would be so rewarding
1: and because you know the what they promise is oh come to us you know we're going to take care of all the hard things in inverted comments, like mm. you know getting uh, marketing you um doing press circuits for you uh, organizing the distribution of your art uh, organizing uh, you know extra funding for editors or you know or providing you with editors or uh, funding for your movie and things like that yeah um, and they're promising you all these things which you just feel like you can't get without them
0: yeah that's a really good point and, and th- there
1: is some truth to it yeah because I mean, they can provide those things but also a lot of caveats come with going with gatekeepers as well
0: yeah i think this idea that oh Um, the, the gatekeepers can give creatives the ability to just make the art and nothing else is very seductive as well that was certainly something that I thought about a lot I was like I don't want to be the one that's like figuring out how to print my fucking books I really didn't want to do that and I you know to this day I don't want to do that and I don't I employ someone to do it um but like these were the things that really got my way I was like I don't want to be the one that has all the responsibility to like putting this thing out there I don't want to be the one that has to market I don't want to be this person I want someone to do that for me I want to be picked and I can still feel the emotion there for me like I just wanted and I said used to say this a lot I just wanted support I really wanted someone to support my creative journey and that made me for several years be, um, see nothing else no other option other than to be picked by a publisher to be picked by an agent
1: and the interesting thing is that anecdotally you know and neither amy and i are inside this world so take this with a grain of salt but what you often hear from authors particularly and that's what we know the best and that's who we interact with probably the most is oh i got picked by a publishing house but they won't devote any of their advertising budget to me they their editors won't give me very much time um they're not supporting me very much at all i have to do, have all, to do my all my own marketing, marketing i have yeah. to go out there and i mean we had do you remember we had rebecca on the podcast mm-hmm. she was um she had a book deal with one of the big one of the biggest publishers in australia and she was saying well I'm still having to go out there and approach new- newspapers and magazines myself mm. and try and get interviews like yeah. they're not doing anything for me so it's it's sort of this illusion that a gatekeeper is going to
0: take all the work from you and
1: make you a guaranteed success yeah
0: yeah that's definitely an illusion and we see it more and more as we speak to creatives who have been really let down by that and you see it with musicians too um we have a few beautiful musician friends who are you know really successful and the, produ- the production not product what do you call them producers like sony and you know there's big universal like they just don't support these mm. creatives and i think they fund a lot funnel a lot of their money to the top you know like Zero point zero 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 one percent of their creators, mm. uh, rather than rather than supporting some of their other younger perhaps creators, um, it's all very. I think it's all very money driven, really.
1: Of course, yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense for them, right? Because they go, well, I've got a guaranteed return. Yeah. on Beyonce's album. Yeah. Like it's going to make the company X millions of dollars. So we know what do- every dollar you put in is going to get us a certain number of yeah. return. But it's less risk. It's less risk for sure.
0: Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I want to talk about how we can take up space and get attention and have our creations get attention without having the need to be picked by these institutions. Mm. Um, And obviously, the first thing we're going to talk about is um, the connection economy and social media. And we're going to have an interesting conversation here because I know so many of you are seeing parallels between uh, gatekeeping institutions and social media itself and asking questions like, well, isn't social media just another way of um, being gatekept because the algorithm and the games that we have to play in order to be witnessed and to be seen on social media um, are almost like the games that we have to play in order to be witnessed and seen by gatekeepers. So this is going to be an interesting and nuanced discussion. I'm not sure where it's going to lead us.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think So basically, for those of you who want to create without gatekeepers, yes, as Amy said, you're going to have to find a way yourself of getting yourself out there and mm-hmm. getting an audience. And I think the good news is there that you don't need 94,000 followers or whatever Amy has on social media to make money from your creativity.
0: No, you don't. And Um, I know a lot of you just rolled your eyes, but like, I will literally get you a huge room of creatives who have, you know, smaller, much, much smaller amounts of social media followers who have full-time creative work
1: mm. from it. And, you know, and Amy was able to start her business, once again, you're going to roll your eyes at this, but when she had 20,000 followers, not 90,000, and it was still... And you don't need that many. I you was, didn't need it, no. And because the thing is that when Amy started her career or started monetizing her social media following at twenty thousand to twenty five thousand, those people who were following Amy were not, um, as you would say, like hot leads. No, they They had, a lot of them had started following Amy for, you know, memes, memes. or like to hear about her day to day life as a creative. They weren't people who were looking to learn from her and or buy her books, for example. Yeah. And it was a lot it took a lot of effort from Amy. Um, to consciously try to change that perception in her audience over the over, the, over a course of years and years and years. And, mm. and that's where we talk about posture. Mm. That's where we talk about um, being a leader in your community. That's where we talk about, which you don't have to be. You don't have to be a leader. You don't have to be a teacher. No, you
0: don't. Absolutely. This, but, but whatever your posture is, right? So if you've been, you know, ha- if you have an Instagram following of like a thousand followers and you've just been sharing, you know, your creative process, but now you want to share your art, you have to posture yourself differently now as the artist, as someone who sells their art, as someone who is proud of their art, as someone who knows the value in their art, as someone who has, um you know, art that is deeply desired and wanted. Like that's just a posture shift that you have to change. And that's what I had to do at 20,000. And you're right, they weren't Hotleys. And it took work um, re imaging myself. And it wasn't, this sounds so marketing it sounds so branding but it was profound like internal work for me this was a really holy transition this isn't about branding this isn't about you know incidentally it was incidentally it was about marketing incidentally it was about business but it was also about me taking up the space that I wanted to take up space it was actually like a profound spiritual and emotional transformation for me and I think that we often think that marketing and branding it's going to be really like capitalistic and gross and icky but I've seen it as extremely personal, extremely magical, and, and it's allowed me to take up space as who I am becoming.
1: Yeah, and, and as we have said before in the podcast, oh, that's one for the bingo sheet. Um, <laughs> when it, The first three or four products that Amy released were flops, basically. Yeah. Either very little on people or no one wanted to buy it from Amy, and I think that's just that's not necessarily going to be part of the journey for you, but I think that's something that we've just got to be prepared for. It's like when, once we start posturing ourselves to sell our art, it's not going to immediately be that. I mean, it, sometimes it is, it's amazing, but mm. often it's like getting people used to seeing you selling stuff. And it's like the first time someone sees you offering a product, they might be like, oh, I don't know. But then they see you, you come back and you've offered another product or you've, or, you know, improved that product. or you've remarketed that same product and you've stuck with it and they go, mm. okay, maybe I can trust this person and I can, I can buy from this person. Mm. Or I can, I, I want what this person is putting out there because I, I trust them as someone who is committed to their creativity and yeah. someone or some, or whatever product you're selling. I trust that person. And, you know, I've seen, you know, for Amy, it was like, took her a month to get her first close coaching client. And then it took her another month to get her second. And then it was like, once people saw, but once people saw that Amy was working consistently with a couple of people, it made her more attractive to more people. Yeah. And same thing with, um, you know, the journaling compendium, that uh, the first book that Amy sold, it was, like, quite a trickle at first. You know, we were amazed. At, and I can't remember what that, exactly the number was. We've talked about it before again. Big go, big go. But um, it was... It's like you know, 30 books. In the first two weeks or something. And we were, like... <sighs> we were amazed. We were so pumped. Like, we've never made a dollar that felt that good. Like, it was... And then when Incredible. we sold
0: 100, we went out and had dinner.
1: Yeah, we went down to the burrito place down the road and we got burritos. And we were like, this is amazing.
0: So cute. Oh, I love Amy's book so paid much. For, our,
1: for our burritos. And it was just a very... And then it was just a slow building of trust that Amy is someone who's trust, worth reading. Yeah. You, you'd be amazed by what you consistently showing up and putting yourself as, out there as someone. You know, a lot of people go, oh, I tried to sell my book online, but you know, it didn't no one work. bought it. And then I go, well, did you try and sell a second book or a third book? Or or did you try try and keep pushing that book? Or did you just forget about it? Yeah. I think that's a big part of it as well.
0: Sorry, I'm just trying to find a few creators that I want to talk about right now. um, And talk about particularly creators who um, have small followings, but really make it work. Mm. Um, Oh, Rachel Rose. Yeah, um, She's an incredible... um, She... Does women's circles and works with mothers and, and writes and it's incredible. She has like 2,000 followers full time. Um, they're so engaged. She has such an incredibly engaged following yes. and they're so in love with her. I mean, if you really think about it, like 2,000 people... Like and if you've got two thousand incredibly engaged people who are in love with you, if you have a hundred people who are incredibly engaged who trust you and love you, like the power there, like you just don't need gatekeepers, you and, know.
1: And even like thinking about if you think about people, you know, if you're an artist, say, and you sell work for five hundred thousand dollars a piece, and you have fifty people who are just yeah. ready and waiting yeah. to buy anything you put out there, and they're going to be competing for every piece you put out there, it's like essentially you're never going to be without audience people are never not going to buy what you what you make yeah and i think that's a great point about engagement amy is that people go oh i need so many social media followers but the bigger the, these big accounts like these accounts in the millions their engagement rate is so beautiful like a lot, of, a lot of people say i have a small audience and they love me and that is the best place to be
0: yeah that is, that i is honestly the, think that is the best place for a Like amy be. is
1: obviously very lucky that she kind of has a middle ground there where she's a bigger account with a pretty good engagement rate yeah um but her engagement rate isn't as good as a lot of people with smaller accounts than her
0: yep yeah, i agree i
1: and agree so we're talking about you in the third person here so it feels weird
0: that's okay um yeah
1: it's like you know you look at these um i know i don't i don't want to rag on fitzbo people because i feel like it's mean but you look at a lot of these big fitzbo accounts and it's like five million followers mm. and they get 10 comments on their photo or something or, and it's like it's just thirsty men yeah. Or hundred comments bots. from, or bots. And you're like, how and then, then they launch a, a swimwear brand and no one buys and no it. One and buys it. And it's like, well, yeah. Whereas someone who had a thousand followers who, so say someone else tried, tried to start a swimwear brand and they had a thousand followers who loved their designs mm. and their whole account was based upon these amazing swimwear designs. It's like, then that's how you start a business.
0: Yeah. Um, so I just found another example, uh, right with Chloe, Chloe Higgins. She moved herself to Bali. She has 2000 followers. She's a writer. And she makes all her money through Instagram. Yeah, (laughs) Like, again, extremely engaged creators. So the question now is like, how do you create that connection? How do you create that engagement? How do you create that intimacy uh, with the people that you have on your platform? I just want you to get excited right now. Like whether you have, you know, 100 or 50 people following you, whether you have one person following you, the excitement is is that you can uh, create connection with them, which means they will be a lifelong, you know, patron of your art. And there's an opportunity to do that and the question is how like how are you going to create intimacy and you might want to look at how you create intimacy in your you know in real life you know how do you connect with people what makes it you special what are your skill sets um how do you create connections in a really unique profound way with your friend circle and look how could you translate that onto your social media profile how could you translate that into your youtube um presence like you know we're not just talking about instagram here but there are so many different ways to connect online right now mm-hmm. um we're not just talking about inst- instagram at all what you know portal can you translate your essence through the best would be a good question to ask like whether that's going to be youtube or Tumb- um, tumblr i wish you could still connect on tumblr
1: i have no idea
0: i just feel like i don't know what happened to tumblr like I um think it's still twitter going strong right maybe I, I know they took all the porn off it oh
1: disastrous made it way
0: less attractive shame, shame. um uh yeah youtube TikTok. like LinkedIn, like there's so many different options what's going to be the best way for you to connect Uh, and this is about getting to know yourself and also like you know experimenting with what you prefer and and what does connect and what doesn't connect and people think you know oh I don't like it it's like I'm playing a game Um, but yeah I, I don't want to seem insensitive but just because it feels like a game doesn't make it morally bad and just because it feels like a bit of a game and you have to figure things out and you have to figure out what works it doesn't make it i don't know i feel like people say that and as though it's like abhorrent that it feels mm. like a game but like does it doesn't need to be
1: no i don't think so
0: no do I. it's like you know oh instagram just feels like i'm trying to play the system it's like life isn't that just like what we're always doing like what mm. works what doesn't work how, how can i, I, I connect the, in this the way the problem is
1: often when you feel exploited by the system right right yeah and when the game feels exploited which it can often feel like yeah. on social media because you are just providing clicks for Meta, essentially oh
0: shit i just spelt my gnt no
1: amy it's
0: my like grapefruit
1: put that on the bingo card <laughs> so this is the joke someone who was it someone it was us. ruth roots <laughs> and i was like we should make my, an unpublished podcast bingo card which is like the mics don't work james says that the camera is about to run out of time and <laughs> they we say <laughs> we we're said, unprepared like it was like i would rambling. love to have this bingo card mate
0: we say something like we've said this a lot of times before yeah we say the word nuance yeah exactly amy says fuck i spilt my gnt
1: mm-hmm. but anyway yeah it's when you know you, you it's fair enough I think it's 100% fair enough to feel like you're getting you're being exploited for yeah you're by right you're right these big corporations and yes yes and you have to protect yourself and you have to be like you have to not you have to play the game in a way that's going to protect you yeah and not just give all of yourself all your free labor to meta like you gotta make sure this is what it's like try and don't let meta take all of your value like try and capture some of that value for yourself yeah and I know some often some artists feel especially visual artists and photographers um a big thing is often big corporations stealing your art and your work and and uh, utilizing it for themselves. Obviously, mm-hmm. once it's again, horrible. horrible. Yeah. And it's like, yes, that fucking sucks, and it's a bad part of the game. Um, but are you going to
0: let that stop you? Let that stop you? Yeah. Like, are
1: you going to let these assholes stop you, or are you yeah. going to get back at them by essentially being a fucking badass? Yeah. And being more successful with your own art than they were.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
1: you got to remember, the reason they're stealing from you is because they, they're uncreative assholes who have no idea themselves. Yeah. And they could never do what you do. Yeah. And yes, it hurts, but like, fuck them. They're like, they just suck.
0: Yeah. Do you want to talk about how these platforms mimic gatekeeping spaces? Just quickly.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: I think uh, when people talk about how social media often mimics a gatekeeping space, they're talking particularly about the, uh, this unknowable, like, algorithm essentially and they're saying this algorithm picks and chooses who to put through and you know we have seen like some pretty wild biases against um like black creators and like disabled creators and like especially on tiktok i know that's been a big thing mm. um and this idea that the algorithm's actually racist and like you know really real problems um and the you know the algorithm then again like in a less serious sense like uh preferencing reels or preferencing with your face, preferencing when you're more naked, but then if you're naked, then they block you. Like, you know, it's really fucking hard to understand. And I think there is a there is a valid conversation here about saying, like, well, what's the difference? Mm. But I do still think there is a huge difference. Because even though you have to navigate something that is hidden from us, which is profoundly unfair, and it does often feel like we're being played and sometimes I just feel so fucking tired of it and I see you. We still have access to a space where we can be witnessed, and and even though we have to negotiate our witness, our witnessing, and even though sometimes it feels like we're being blocked or shadow banned or um, hidden, you know, it, we're still allowed access to that space predominantly.
1: Yeah, I think that the thing is as well that what the algorithm can't take away is you turning up consistently mm. with good work. Yeah, and I'm not saying you're guaranteed if you do that. I'm not saying you're guaranteed success or anything like that, but I'm saying that. If you can do that for a year, for two years, for three years, yeah, you will increase your chance of being noticed a lot more than if all you're doing is trying to submit to gatekeepers. I
0: believe. Oh my, oh, I, I believe that with my whole heart. And you look at, I mean, like TikTok's an interesting one. Again, huge conversations to be had about like translation and loyalty and, you know, intimacy with the cr- cr- people that follow you on mm. TikTok. But like, um,
1: yes. And what Amy's getting out there is that we've had this conversation a lot, or should we focus on TikTok, but. I don't believe that a follow on TikTok or it a live on TikTok is anywhere near as valuable. It isn't. Pra- I just don't think it is. Because p- the, the nature of the platform is to jump off people's pages and not to stay on creators mm. and not to build a relationship with them. Instagram is much stickier.
0: Yeah, it is stickier.
1: And you, you build relationships more. And then there are other platforms that, I mean, feel, probably feel even stickier. But uh, that's what we're, I mean, podcasts, for, for example. Yeah. Is like, and we've talked about this before. You could rather have one person on your mailing list than 100 Instagram followers or 1,000 TikTok followers. Like, You'd rather have one listener on your podcast compared to a hundred or a thousand Instagram followers. Yeah, it's just way more. You build a relationship much easier. I don't think I think TikTok's really fun and really great in many many ways, but it's uh, the most attention grabbing, and therefore it's the most likely that people will bounce off you.
0: I agree. Not I, I think um, I saw recently, um, and it might be that have been the case in other countries for a long time, like they roll out Australia updates last, I swear to God. But mm. the, at the top of the TikTok page, there's now an Instagram button. So you can move straight to someone's Instagram. And I've been doing that a lot for a lot of creators. So I feel mm. like I can hold them because if I don't do that, I feel like I lose creators. Yeah. I follow them. I like the content and I just lose them. Mm. So that's, that's potentially exciting. And what? even
1: though there's a creator fund with TikTok, the yeah. bigger TikTok gets, the, the fun stays the same size so the more the bigger TikTok gets the less money there is to go around with everyone so like yeah creators who were once making their full-time living just from having heaps of TikTok views just aren't making very much money anymore
0: in in saying that well, before James jumped in I was going to say that you know TikTok is a really exciting space in terms of just getting eyes on you mm-hmm. um because it's a lot more um what, what's the word like your ability the to go viral is so much higher. Yeah, it's much more velocity. And I was watching a creator the other day who said they were just going to create a video every day for, I think it was like several months. And like, you know, she built a platform from zero to 45,000 people. And I followed her Instagram. Mm. And whilst I probably won't be able to see her again on TikTok, or maybe I will in like a few months, now I've got her on Instagram. And she just consistently posted. And a few of her tiktoks went mildly viral you know uh, i think um
1: actors often think you know how do i as an actor get past the yeah it's like, these platforms are now They're literally tailor made for actors are yeah. amy's friend millie who many of you might know from um instagram what's
0: millie's millie Graham? millie she's who, a famous tiktoker now she's a
1: famous tiktoker now for years she was just making
0: sketches sketches on you know they show up on facebook
1: they show up on youtube occasionally and then tiktok rolls around and she you know she wants to act and she's now an, um acting in
0: she's acting in shows and in she's a fucking comedian
1: um and She's in and LA TikTok right rolls now. Around and it's like, BAM. That's the perfect medium for her. She figures out how to use it. She takes off.
0: And oh man, I just love watching Millie. What's she looking at? Looking we got, at the time? We've got six minutes. Are you serious? We've been talking for so long.
1: I know, it says twenty four minutes on the camera.
0: Um, I have so much more to say.
1: We can I can restart the camera and make Paul splice it in.
0: Okay. Okay. Um Millie's journey is just so exciting. Like she would post um like comedic sketches on facebook and she did that for years and then she just kept showing up and it'd be so easy to say comedians actors you have to have a gatekeeper but look at millie she's in tv shows she's you know she's blown up she's won awards like and that's just because she kept being like no i want to create and she didn't wait for anyone to pick her to create she didn't wait for anyone to pick her to act she did it herself Mm. um and TikTok is a super exciting place for actors and comedians, in my opinion. Um, and I'm excited to see what new platforms come out, which, again, are incredibly exciting places for different like different people in different art forms.
1: Mm. Or even think about, like, you know, chefs. I am obsessed oh God, with yeah. Instagram and TikTok chefs. Like, I spent hours just watching people cook amazing shit online.
0: I like this idea that chefs don't have to be... Um, Famous for the taste of their food, but yeah. for their process, like how delicious. It's really cool. I love that. Mm. Um, I'm sure it was frustrating for some of them. I'm sure a lot of them want to see people taste their food, mm. um, but you know there would be ways to do that too, and um, there'd be ways to make sure that like there's just different ways for people to connect in so like without you know being the head chef without being picked as without I said three Michelin stars, or yeah, by,
1: by some random reviewer from the Michelin Guide, exactly. Exactly.
0: Sorry, I just got an email from the mold men.
1: Oh, great. Very important. Very important. You know, do, do you guys know about our mold struggles? But anyway, really our air conditioning it. is full of mold. The end. The end.
0: We're all very unwell from it. And
1: we're very excited about the mold men coming mm-hmm. and fixing our air conditioning. Very excited
0: um i wanted to talk about different creators who have done it differently um mm-hmm. so that so if you're really feeling lost like okay yeah i get what you're saying Amy and james like you go on social media but like let's talk about different creators and how they've done it differently do you want to stop the recording and start again now or do you want to wait till it runs out
1: okay i'll stop now and start again okay great. hold on
0: hold on just quick pause I right we're back we're back okay so i just thought we could go through a few examples of different types of creators who have broken the rules rebelled and said no i don't want to be picked i want to practice my craft and be witnessed without having been chosen Mm, so where should we start um you know i'm taking over i want to start with two creatives that i worked with um at the beginning of my journey and who had profoundly good friends and i'm just so fucking delighted for them uh augustine and lee their mother-son duo and they are doing children's books they're multidisciplinary artists and they're incredible at writing dancing like acting like there's so many professions between the two of them but they have decided to make their own publishing company and they want to write children's books centered around black kids um having an experience of profound joy. So rather than having like trauma, you know, focusing on, you know, American black trauma for kids, looking at, you know, incredible, be- bright, beautiful stories. And they've written these books, they're self publishing these books, they've hired illustrators to do these books. They've done so within a very, like, you know, they've spent money on it, but they've done so in a reasonable manner, like, and they're, publi- they're their own publishing house. And they're going to help publish other people's books too. And they've like, you know, basically built from a business from the ground up. They've become the publishing house um, with a very clear intention behind it. And I just watch these two and I'm having conversations with them next week. I'm just, I, I've, I'm so proud of them. And I'm so excited for what they're doing.
1: And that touches on something that I wanted to say earlier, which is that <sighs> we need to start obviously thinking of ourselves more as small business owners and start to incorporate some of the practices from the business world i think like yes one advantage of gatekeepers is that they're going to provide the funding for you and of course i understand you know we're probably about to, we're possibly about to enter a recession times are hard you know you don't want to be spending money on things that you see as risky but the bottom line is that there's risks to everything as we've said before you know there's risks to not trying to pursue a credit calling. Mm-hmm. There's risks to your, so, you know, seemingly safe nine to five jobs. You know, you could get fired tomorrow in a recession. Um, there are, and, and obviously if you're living, you know, if you're struggling financially, it's it's easier said than done. But there are ways obviously to do things cheaply and there are ways to put, you know, and you, you can also put money in, but there's always going to be risk. And that might be time or it might be money, but I just want to embolden you to, give it a go like don't obviously don't drop 50 grand on your business but like if you want to and you have some money saved up like don't feel bad about taking a risk like see it as an investment it
0: is an investment in yourself
1: and investments don't always pay off yeah sometimes they it's go like to zero. investing
0: in the stock market right but it's mm. you when you're investing in your fucking art which in my opinion is just like seven bajillion times cooler
1: yeah
0: anyway so that's an example of uh authors in that sense and illustrators um creating space to take up without permission Mm. who else should we talk about
1: um you know just bring up all the usuals we've talked about before in the past like alexis yeah
0: alexis raken raken she always really rags on me for saying her last name wrong and she's like it's so easy
1: is it though alexis is it
0: is it she's i have her art all over my walls again through social media she has shared her art and built an incredible platform and she sells her art she's making a tarot deck like and oh, fuck, i just love her so much
1: <laughs> and same thing you know she just started sharing her art on, on the internet and yeah. people fucking loved it and then she opens her art shop you know once every couple of months
0: she's a great example of a slow creator she takes a long time to write, make her pieces she only opens her shop Every now and again,
1: because you know she has to ship all her work and stuff, yeah. so it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of effort. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of visual artists do this because it's like you don't if you're constantly getting orders in, it's just you'll spend it's your whole lot. life shipping. Yeah, so they batch it, and yeah. that's also you know someone like Laura Hesper come, comes in where yeah she does a very similar thing, and she or well, she has started recently doing a very similar thing. Um,
0: so good, Laura and, Hesper's incredible. If you don't follow her, and
1: she recently um,
0: did her I had, art show, had,
1: did an art show where. uh her artwork sold out in person.
0: I just want to highlight this. Laura has most, for most of this time had around 16,000 followers. She now has 21,000, but she is selling out entire collections. And I just, I know that is a lot, but like we don't need millions of followers to to be a sold out artist. And you know
1: what she has in part, she has a lot of followers because she consistently shares her art and her Mm. personality and who she is. Like, it's not like she just got 16,000 followers overnight. Um, And I'm not saying it's just easy to get 16,000 followers, but it's like, there's a reason.
0: Yeah, she shared consistently. She shared
1: consistently her incredible art.
0: And she has an intimacy with her followers that I've never seen anywhere on social media. Mm. The way that she allows us into her life is so generous and so profound. And, you know, me and James spend our Laura Hesp, like we have our Laura Hesp time where we have to watch her stories. Like I'm that engaged in her life. I'm that committed to her. And I've got, you know, a lot of her art as well. And I want to get an original because she's a fucking bomb. Mm
1: we talk about Sharon who we've had on Sharon,
0: look, I'm just looking at my walls. Which
1: I wasn't allowed to interview.
0: <laughs> no, I wanted Sharon all to myself. Uh, so Sharon's on one of our podcasts. Sharon's an incredible artist from London. Oh, I, I said that maybe we could have coffee when we go to London wow. with her. Um, so her Instagram's London artist, um, incredible collage pieces. Um, and she's someone who's blended kind of gatekeeping spaces with um, online spaces too. But it all started from our online spaces and she has like 9,000, 10,000 followers. Um, and she shares her art consistently she shares her story consistently Mm. and People are in love with her art, and she's been—you know—she's been getting solo exhibitions at some of the most incredible spaces in London. Yep. She's been on TV; like, she has just been lifted up by people because she chose to let herself be seen. And you know, you speak to Sharon, and you go back and listen to that episode. It's one of our most listened-to episodes, actually. And um, the vulnerability hangovers she has from from doing this are huge. Like, it, you know, it's really not easy work to let yourself be seen in this way, but she chose to, and she's being abundantly fucking rewarded. And she's a full time fucking artist, and. I I bought her piece, Um, I have a a piece of hers, and she was not full-time then. And I spoke to her as she transitioned through this, and she was really nervous about it. But look, she's honestly, she's thriving, thriving, um, because she allowed herself to be witnessed and seen.
1: I think the thing is, if you you come to that moment where a gatekeeper picks you, you're going to think, this is it. And I think a lot of writers, a lot of artists, sorry, it doesn't end up being it, and they still have a lot of struggle left in front of them. And that kind of breaks them because they think I should have made it. Yeah. Whereas I think artists who come from a non-gatekeeper background mm. have a lot more resilience in those yeah, situations. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because they're just, they're not expecting any one <laughs> thing yeah, to be they're... it. I think it's like a slow unfolding and it, it's a, a journey yeah. and it's, uh, I don't know, it just nothing seems sudden. Whereas getting picked by a gatekeeper is so sudden, right?
0: It is. And I think of a lot of the traditionally published authors that i've spoken to especially people uh, authors who have been published for a long time by traditional uh, publishing houses um they're so bitter mm. and because they were promised something that they did not receive mm. and i think that that is a risk there whereas yeah. <laughs> those of us who are just going it alone you know we are we are so much more resilient yeah. and we're not expecting fucking anything and everything feels magical and our being witness feels so magical and we're so grateful mm. um for you know all that we get to encounter on this journey.
1: Yeah. Like I have a I have a friend an amazing writer um and he recently got picked up by a small traditional publisher and you know they get he got he got a $300 advance which is obviously better much better than zero but it's like it was so elating mm. to get picked up by the publisher but then you get 300 bucks and it's yeah. like they don't I mean obviously I'm not saying this publisher is a bad or immoral person obviously it's they're a small press, and I understand that there's not a lot of money to go around and Mm. understand but you know it's just like that's if you self-publish you don't need that many copies Mm. to make it to $300 yeah yeah and it's just that's that's the idea of the sort of gap we're talking about um and then there are Plenty, you know, there are. I, I, I would be surprised if there weren't more people out there making it without gatekeepers than there are with gatekeepers right now.
0: Yeah, I would. I would agree. And that's
1: what a, something else we should talk about is the rise of the middle class creative.
0: Oh, that's Which the is whole that, podcast. You know, with is gatekeepers,
1: though. often it's like you're the millionaire or you have you're making the three hundred dollar advance, and it's like with independent artists, I feel like there's a lot more people who are just kind of like me and Amy. We're not super rich. We're just we're making enough to live. The Alan life we want to live, life, yeah. with our money, you know? Yeah, exactly. From our, art. From our art. It's not, as we've often said before, openly. We'll openly admit we make probably less than most of our friends. Yeah, who are in the corporate world. Yeah, but I wouldn't want there to trade places. Yeah, and that's obviously coming from a position of immense privilege.
0: Yeah, we. Yeah, and we always always acknowledge that, like we do come from a space of immense privilege. But yeah,
1: but we don't make a we don't make a small amount of money either. No, we don't. So we don't make a small amount of money. No.
0: It's crazy to say that to me. Yeah, it's like actually crazy for me to say that. Mm. Um. Okay. So we've spoken about visual artists. We've spoken about writers. Um, we've spoken about actors, and we've spoken about comedians. Do you want to speak about singers? Because and I think musicians is an interesting one that I actually I don't work with a huge amount of musicians. And if you are a musician, um, who is going? That's not this... true. You do work with quite a few musicians. Why am I blanking? MJ. M- MJ. Yeah, oh, MJ's the best. Her music is incredible. Um, how do how can we look at how can we you know plan and, and venture and play with this idea? How can musicians move around the traditional um, world of music production and producers, etc. Mm, well, Interesting to get Jess on to speak about mm-hmm. this because she um, she
1: know she struggles a lot with her label and she wants to yeah and you know she's often thinking about ways that she could make it with and she her will
0: be she will oh Amanda Palmer
1: Amanda, oh, Amanda Palmer is obviously the big mama of
0: of musicians going on And alone. just artists going it alone. Yeah. She
1: fought to get out of her label so that she could have, she could be supported by her support, by her fans. Yeah. And now she makes her money from Patreon. Yeah. And, and I
0: think that was a route that Jess was thinking of going down.
1: And a lot of these more traditionally published authors now have Patreons. Yeah. Because it's just like, why not? They, they should get paid for the time when they're not bringing out their books. So they're, they're doing creative labor day to day. Yeah. And the labor they're doing day to day is what, you know, and then you pay them. What, twenty dollars for a book at the end? It's not really commensurate with the amount of work they put in. Agreed. Obviously, if, if you if you don't want to support all this on Patreon, I don't think there's anything immoral about that. Um,
0: do no, I don't think so either. At all. It's no. just that
1: like they should if if you if they have super fans, then Yeah, why wouldn't you want it. to
0: support them? I support so many creators on Patreon. Mm.
1: Um and, and people think that, oh, maybe some, I think people some people think that Patreon's a bit like desperate or something, but it's not. It's just people who are like I do cool shit, yeah, and I need time to do it. And if you want, if you like the cool shit I do, then maybe like help me to not have to work so much, yeah, on other jobs, so that I can do more cool shit.
0: So I actually, now that I think about it, do support multiple um, musicians on Patreon, um, and they release music there and release music on Spotify, and they get a lot of their funds through Patreon, which is an interesting platform to use. You know, it's a fu- fucking exciting platform. Every to use.
1: month, I because I look at our bank statement, and I'm like. What the fuck are all these hundreds of dollars coming up I'm like Patreon.
0: <laughs> Wait, it just disappeared. I was going to show you who I support. Oh, no. Oh, no Whatever. Um, yeah, I do support a lot of musicians and there's a lot of interesting platforms that you know, we could look at, especially TikTok for singing, like there's a lot of um not singing any musician any music. Um, TikTok is an interesting platform for that. I f- i've listened to some incredible fucking music on tiktok and i'm like holy shit and i follow them immediately and obviously
1: a lot of songs go viral on tiktok that end yeah, up making into spotify charts and and the, the general charts yeah, for music really um, interesting it's been a huge launching pad for a lot of artists yeah recently
0: and yeah and interestingly a lot of artists have been very bitter about that and angry about that having to play too yes this viral sound. But again, mm. it's just, it's a bigger conversation than it being bad or good, I think.
1: But what about the people on YouTube who just do lo-fi mixes and they get, you know, millions of listens on their lo-fi yeah. mixes and they get ad rev from that. I and mean, yeah. that's freaking pretty YouTube, freaking cool. That's cool. cool. It's yeah. fucking cool. Yeah.
0: All right. So musicians, artists, um, Obviously we actors, you know, comedians. We artists. don't have to
1: cover everyone. I think the point is like, there. This, this is the, we're at the cutting edge and... There is there are ways to do this without um gatekeepers. It's just a matter of you treating yourself more as the finished product already and oh as God a small that. business. So it's like you have something to offer the world now. You can start <gasps> offering it. And that might seem cringe or embarrassing to you now, but eventually you'll step into your posture. Yeah. And if you do it consistently, then who knows? Like I just think you've got a way better chance of doing that doing it that way than waiting around for some Rando, you, you, so who's some just some random person rando. who's no smarter than you, no better than you. Just They're so, just going to come through and because they've like, either they've known someone, they've been put in some position or because they've like worked their way up some corporate hierarchy.
0: It's so They can random. suddenly pick you. Um, real quick, reading Bullshit Jobs by David Graeber, obviously a completely life-changing book. Um, and he talks about the process of screenwriters and the middle management that gets stuck in between these scripts come without becoming to life and they just have all these people that like have no qualifications just like
1: just rejecting things, rejecting just things. Just and they, things. they
0: sit in between the creator and the, the and the production company mm. and there's loads of them yeah and they're just like then just random people
1: because you know it's a universal law essentially as, as soon as we start to create any kind of structure around something there's going to be an air gap in the middle filled by middle managers who're going to want to try and create work for themselves to seem mm-hmm. important mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whereas you could be the upper management the middle management and the employee of yourself exactly and yes <sighs> of course you know as we've said already doesn't mean it's all definitely going to work out but it's like i just feel like it's a more freeing way of doing things and also doesn't mean that it's not valid to want to Be with the gatekeepers.
0: Oh, not at all, not at all. Just
1: that there there are options. That I think the thing is,
0: we just need to know there are options.
1: Amy and I often talk about, you know, if you want to us long term being hybrid creatives, where we take advantage we take advantage of the opportunity to work with gatekeepers, hopefully, but we also have the power of our own business, which gives us leverage in that relationship too.
0: Yeah, and I think as we move on in this connection economy, and as we get grow older in this connection economy, the highly likelihood is that these fucking gatekeepers are gonna just snatch already um working artists who have chosen themselves Mm. and who have made small businesses essentially out of themselves and then they get picked up later and that's so like but if you really want to go a gatekeeper route do this first you know like pick yourself first because you're going to be so much more appealing if a
1: gatekeeper wanted to offer amy a 300 hundred dollar advance now she'd be like no i'm sorry like (laughs) you no you can't like you, you just can't you can't I have leverage to work with. I can show you how much money I made for my last book. Yeah. And you have to basically match that. Yeah. Or more. Or more. Yeah. Or why would I work with you?
0: Yeah, why would I? I can just do it myself. Yeah. The power you get from picking yourself is profound. And you deserve to feel that powerful because mm. you're the artist.
1: Exactly. Boom. Boom.
0: All right. Love you guys. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it was a pretty good game of bingo. I feel like a lot of the... I think we hit everything. Up. No, we didn't hit... um.
1: I had my own mic issue, but I didn't say anything about it.
0: Oh, interesting. Because I,
1: I was adjusting the screw and it like collapsed and then it swung away from my face. But luckily you were talking. Oh, God. I know. I know. Okay. Um, so I've had I'm
0: such f- good feedback on this podcast lately, guys. We're just so grateful for when you tell us that you enjoy listening.
1: Please, can I have a review? <laughs> you sound desperatic. Please. Please. Because, because I love them. You love I the need reviews. them to survive. Okay. And if I don't have them, how will I live?
0: And that's the end. And that's it. If you don't do a review, James will die.
1: Oh, and my newsletter exists.
0: Oh, also sign up for a newsletter. Which is technically the
1: podcast newsletter.
0: Otherwise, you'll die.
1: Otherwise, well, yeah. I'd rather reviews. Really? No, I'd actually, rather you sign up for my newsletter. All right. But also reviews. Do both. If you're going to sign up for my newsletter, might as well leave a review as well, right?
0: I've slunk so far down the couch, you could probably hardly hear me.
1: Okay, yeah. we're okay. going to end the podcast. Oh, okay, I'm going to make dinner. Okay, bye. Bye.
0: Love you, bye.